Just occurred to me, how much would Plage love Trump? <laughs> Plage loves Trump. Do you know what? Does he? I'm, I'm guessing. You're guessing. Do you know you, what? It's not even a guess. It's just the facts. I just had another profound realization while listening to this amazing song. It Do you know amazing. who else has like stark parallels with Plage? Who? You. What? <laughs> I don't know. It's just because you're, you're basically plies now. You're like, I ain't never had shit. Like, even that moment <laughs> is like, you make fun of me now, but you'll be working for me. <laughs> That's what happened. I work for you now. Dude, check in me. I paid you out for liking plies. <sighs> and cosmically, the justice is you have become plies. Man, I did sympathize with that baloney in that hot ass pan. <laughs> I never realized he said that. Gonna make bologna sandwich in some hot ass pan. <laughs> he ain't wrong. That's the thing. Like none of his stuff is wrong. No, he ain't never had shit, <laughs> and now he wants you to know that he's got, got shit. shit now. Yeah, and shit means shoes. <laughs> Everybody needs to watch Plies's Never Had Shit. That was a staple of. Slightly post-university for both Ali and I. That was, that and his song Thick, it was ritual that every time we went to Ali's house, which was every second day, we had to watch both of those. <laughs> Produced by none other than, quote, Big Gates. <laughs> Why, what's <laughs> so, up with so Big he's Gates? better than Bill Gates. <laughs> That's what he's saying there, isn't he? Dude, what do you and think? Dude, do you remember that the other one that used to produce for him? So he had Big Gates. <laughs> Such a huge call. Do you reckon? Better than the man that owns all software. Loser. Producing all of his beats on that software. <laughs> he's better than him. That's uh, the he first uses one. Apple. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> he probably does. And you remember him? And also this other producer. Beat billionaire. I still to this day don't know what he's saying. Is he saying that he's a billionaire from his beats, which he's clearly not? Because a lot of those beats, <laughs> I swear I could produce better ones with the technology I have. But the other thing is, is he saying he's a billionaire in terms of, I got a billion beats? I think what he's actually saying, he's a thousandaire. Beat thousandaire. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so he's got a thousand beats. No, he's got a thousand dollars. No, that, dude, beat billionaire does not have a thousand dollars. I can guarantee you that. No, but like, he's not really. What do you think his financial standing is now? Millions. He's a beat millionaire. 
Surely. When was the last good? What was the last song he came out with? Who? Plies. You're gonna have to look that up, and you're gonna yeah. have to play that. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, fine. Let look, me... now that uh, music snob Mislov here is no longer present. That's a good thing, and everybody thinks it's just so Ali and I can talk about politics. But no, it's so we can sit there and uninterruptedly lord Prize. <laughs> Prize is the realist. Yeah, he's yeah. That goes without saying. I mean, he made three albums talking about how he's a realist, and just to fill all of you troglodytes in on the news with Plies, the first album he released, I think, was called Plies de Realist. <laughs> so he's already saying he's a realist. The second album he released was. Realist still. And then I think the third one was even realer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And w- wasn't one of them like Aristotle? Yeah, right? Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so apparently Plies has come out with a song. I don't know if this is new. Hypnotize featuring Akon. Whoa, now that's a blast from the past. I mean, Akon's, that really shows where Plies is on the food <laughs> chain. <laughs> I mean, Akon toured in Pakistan. <laughs> Several times. <laughs> Several times. And he's the only celebrity in history to have done so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. She, uh, that's supposed to be his song. Can't hear shit. I can't hear, can't hear shit. Wow. Plies has gotten very confident with his rapping abilities that he's actually doing what Mil, Mim says and saying nothing on the track. No, it's not playing. It literally is a dead track. Like No. Yeah, I don't know if this is... So it was a false upload. Hey, what's now, Here we go, finally. That beautiful voice. I ran across the knives, little baby, the other day, homie. Yeah, this sounds very Akon, actually. He's gotten a little less confident because he should have said that. You got me so hypnotized. The way your body rolling round and round. That booty keep bumping, titties just bouncing up. You got me so hypnotized. The way your body rolling round. Isn't that called like 50 now? Come on, you gotta admit it. He's not mad. Hackers like their It's, first of all, it's like a blast from the past of 2008, but there is a skill that Plies possesses that no other rapper has. It's just, there's an extra layer of filth. <laughs> <laughs> it comes to Plies. Plies special. Filth. Um, like, but don't wait, you think that is more confronting before? than watching a Rockers of Freddie porn? Yeah. <laughs> and every one of his songs is like that. Plies should be a porn star. Yes, he should. But do you, do you think he'll be like shit at bed? No, I really don't think Plies. Plies knows how to fuck. The thing is, I can imagine the women that he's fucking because the ones that he <laughs> well, uses in all of his imagine. video clips. Yeah, the ones that he uses in his video clips. Uh, unless you say they're not the best ones out there. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're not sending their best they're people. They're not sending their <laughs> they best. They really aren't. And it reminds me again of looking at Erika's fin house. Yeah. And then they'll just be like some chick from the Ukraine. Still <laughs> <laughs> there. Dude, what is that? I was like, like, are you a porn star or a construction worker? I do both. Can I know how bad do women have it in Ukraine? They must have it <laughs> shit. Do they have to marry like 60 year old really fat men that work at Bunnings? Yeah. Like, I mean, whenever you hear these stories of, like, someone getting a mail-order bride, yeah, it's the guy is never, like, a kingmaker. He's always, like, yeah, I work at Bunnings. Or I used to get $25 an hour. I've got a raise now. I get 28 And that means I can get me a nice new wife. No. That's their version of living like a king. Minimum wage in Australia. How bad? Do you reckon... This is a genuine question. Do you think that those girls that come from Ukraine that are, like... um. Well, the ones that go for music videos, I'm sure, are trying to make it in life. But the ones that marry, like, 60-year-old guys from Bunnings, 
Do you think that they're just in it for like the cash slash passport? Or do you think they're like, oh, maybe I'll find like a lo- I'll find love in Australia or like US or wherever they're going? Cash. Cash, straight up. You think that a beautiful woman, as in these women are tens, are marrying a fat 60-year-old that lives in Newcastle. But I don't because know. I <laughs> think that that's going to be true love. Everyone knows what the deal is. I saw a doco, apparently in Ukraine, uh, the alcohol rates for men are insane and domestic abuse rates are also off the chart. So maybe it's their way of like escaping it. By going to Newcastle. <laughs> You're marrying another <laughs> alcoholic. It's not going to happen. No, the reason that that is occurring there is I imagine that Ukraine is just cold Thailand. It would have yeah, to be. Probably. So it's the worst of both worlds. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I get this because my uh, uncle's wife was from Ukraine. Kedan, was she hot? Uh, no, because she married my uncle when he was 60 and she was 55. So. Whoa. <laughs> I'm still married younger. Uh, yeah, so she she was telling me that I didn't uh, I didn't talk to her. First of all, her like her English was pretty shit. My uncle spoke fluent Russian, so he could communicate with her. Wow. But yeah, he used to live in Ukraine. Um Oh, so that was true love. No. <laughs> you know what happened? This is what happened. This yeah. is a funny story. So when he's like uh nineteen or something, he goes to Ukraine for a year. Um, working f- at like some factory. He was learning something, like a course or something over there. So he comes back and he, he f- apparently falls in love with this Ukrainian woman over there. But then he thinks that his mom is never going to agree. Uh, him marrying like uh, someone that's from Ukraine. Like, um, so he comes back. He ends up marrying uh, his wife, um, this Pakistani woman. They end up moving to Chicago. About 10, 15, 10 years ago or something, his wife dies. Mm-hmm. And okay. I don't know why that's funny. But <laughs> and then, sorry. And then I he says, "That's the punchline." And Very then he good. says, uh, "I'm gonna go to Ukraine looking for her." Right? <laughs> he goes to Ukraine, yeah. can't find her. He finds this other woman, <laughs> <laughs> ends up marrying her. But she was telling me that um, how I, I was asking her the one time that I spoke to her, how does like the cultural difference? Because my uncle was like. He wasn't like me. He was like moderate Muslim. Like he gave a shit about like Allah and shit. So I was asking her how, like, are you okay with that? Like, um, and she was saying I was relieved. Like, why were you relieved? It's like, well, because I knew he wouldn't drink. Apparently it's a huge fucking problem over there. Well, yeah, I could imagine as much. All men are alcoholics. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, of course there would be. So what else is there to do there? Except to have wars. And make really cheap vodka. (laughs) So maybe that's what I'm saying. Like 60-year-old bunning guys, are at least they're not alcoholics. They're a catch. Well, they're definitely a catch if you're moving to the other side of the planet to marry a loser. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe the bunnings ones aren't getting tens. Maybe they're getting nine and a halves. Maybe. I'm really going to have to look at the quality. But all I just remember from modeling days is Ukrainian women were more attractive than most of the Russian chicks. And most Russian chicks were 11s. Mm-hmm. So the Ukrainians were 12s. The difference was, though, that the Ukrainian women were really aggressive. And the Russians were just cold. What do you mean aggressive? I that. Like, how were they expre- aggressive? I don't know. They're just always starting fights. <laughs> oh, really? I have so straight up aggressive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, I don't like the lighting in this one. We do it again. And then you'd be like, well, we've also got these shots. I don't give a shit. Mm. So there was a lot of that. And then there was just this kind of, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this. Mislav and I were just at uh, a, it, it was the worst meal I've ever had in my life. It is a Hungry Jack's. Yeah, you lost ta- me there. Uh, wait, 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 wait. I think I could win you back. Attached to a BP. Oh, shit, no. It was sharing rent with a BP. (laughs) And it wasn't even half-half. It was a quarter of the petrol (laughs) station. Wait, is this the one on South Dowling Street? I don't know the the name of the street, but let's just say yes. Okay, okay. We were there, and then this uh, guy comes and sits down next to me and says, Hey, man, I'm a fan. 
And then there's this ice blue dude that just looks like one of the white walkers from Game of Thrones that sits down and stares into my soul. Then Miss sits down, and it's just a law that as soon as Miss Love sits down anywhere, the most insane person in the room will come to him and then just start devolving their life story onto him. Um, He's like a walking therapist. (laughs) It's really weird. I don't know how he does it. So he just sits there and he just goes, man, what the fuck's with this fucking Rebel Whopper shit? First of all, so Russian. He's, what, a year behind the times? <laughs> yeah. He's just learned about the Rebel Wait, Whopper. Rebel Whopper is their vegan one, right? Yeah. yeah okay. The one that they were trying to make sound cool to get everybody hooked to it. And I've got to say, I will eat it because I feel less slack eating it. But it does taste like if a Whopper was a paper towel. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's... That's weird because I tried, uh, what was that place in uh, Newtown? The special Soul Burger. Mm. I tried their, uh, you can't tell the difference. I mean, you can, but it's not bad. It's not bad as in uh, the the similarity is striking or it's not bad as in it's got its own charm. It's got its own charm and I would I don't mind eating it. Yeah, I don't mind eating paper towels, <laughs> but I'm me. I don't like flavour. Oh, true, yeah. <laughs> if it were up to me, if it was legal, I think I'd just ask for the shredded lettuce. That's not true. You like flavour. You just like one flavour. Salt. Yes, that's... You know me better than me. Chicken <laughs> salt is too much for me. <laughs> I will put salt on chicken. Can I get vegetable salt, actually? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's got flavour in it. You're missing the point here, Ali. Salt. I mean, look... I guess it has a flavour, but it does really taste like a chemical reaction sideline mm. to what Walter White would be cooking in Breaking Bad. So it does have a distinct flavour, but it's a very lab flavour, even though I know that it's prevalent in... I'm aware that salt water exists, right? Oh. So I know that you, you, this, this is natural. It doesn't taste natural. That's my point. He just starts talking to him and goes, what is this rebel whopper shit? These fucking vegans, men, that say they're save the planet. I don't know how they save the planet. That's how he starts a conversation, <laughs> fighting someone. It's a really intense part of the world. Whoa. So as you can imagine, if there is a war-torn version of Russia, everyone's going to be very aggressive. <laughs> be, wait, so all of the people, so what kind of, what were the usual ethnicities that you hung out with during your modelling days? So it was Russian women. Russian women and Brazilian mates and women. And so like you... Were there any Australian, like, Anglo-Saxon, English-speaking white people? Yeah, rarely. But we're not the best sort. I know that a lot of British people come here and say, wow, the Ming is here really banging, yeah? But the thing is, anyone looks better than British women. <laughs> so at least you can't mistake them for a garden gnome. So they, they, they do have an up on that. But I think that, yes... Definitely the most attractive people. You know who was there was a lot of Australians for? Eurasians. And fuck, I was sick of that conversation by the end of my modelling stint. I just don't know if I'm white or Asian. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. That's their eternal life struggle. It's It's so annoying. There's nothing worse than sitting in a casting for a Nike ad or something. They're always getting Nike ads. I don't know why. And there's just 20 Eurasians sitting there and you. And then all of them just having this Jimbo Jones talking to Nelson Muntz moment of start acting out of way of getting attention. Yes, yes, me too. <laughs> that was happening over and over. Just these soppy moments of just you did it as well. I mean, yeah, my passport says American, but my face doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta like remember, this was what two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten. Yeah, this was like peak SJW period. No, it wasn't. That was the whole difference. Don't you remember when Obama was elected? I think the fact that he was black was very secondary. What are you talking about? Come on. His I think the main was point, he's black. I think that the main point was just the word hope. Yeah, well, true. I mean, that's how he probably got elected. But they made a he big really, deal about how he's black. I remember some news commentators making a, fa- a, a statement about the fact he was black. You know the only person that I remember making a big deal about the fact he was black? John McCain. John McCain was always saying, my friends, I I really think that you should just punt this one over to Obama. I know I'm sure going to get 40% of the vote, and that's fine. Yeah. He was constantly going on about, isn't it incredible that there's a black guy (laughs) in the White House? He seemed to really care. 
I don't think Obama gave that much of a shit. Dude, he, he was... He just cared that he was president. McCain was Obama's campaigner by the end of it. Yeah, Wasn't there that was. one point where some chick was just like, Obama is an Arab and I'm not cool with that. Yeah. And McCain's entire shtick was like, no, nah, no, nah, he's a better president. He would be a better president than me. You yeah. should avoid uh, voting for me and you should vote At for Obama costs. instead. <laughs> yeah, he got Sarah Palin as his running mate. Sarah Palin. Just to try and well, you know what? Now it kind of makes sense that Sarah Palin was his VP candidate because that was the first knock of the crazy right wing. That was his attempt of like this. This was the precursor of the Trump movement. Yeah, where like you had to choose Sarah Palin oh. as your VP. And wasn't it amazing that he was marketing himself as the Maverick? You know what that meant? It meant sane Republican. <laughs> he was a Maverick. Because he didn't want to start pointless wars. Mm. That was uh, his only thing. It's just like he wasn't a neocon and he wasn't what would soon become the Tea Party. But he was like he all was about just Bob wars. Dole. He hated Russia and Assad. Yeah? He kept talking about how Assad is the worst human being on the planet. Um, well, yeah, no one's perfect. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he was very... So he was... He, man, he was super establishment. He was all about... He, he didn't like wars that were unnecessary. Well, it was just amazing to me that there was a Republican candidate that was acknowledging that climate change existed. Did he? Yeah. Yeah. Possibly. And he was actually saying that we should be doing things about it. Well, he I think he was even critical of Obama for not doing enough. <laughs> what a weird time. I think that he comes from the generation where um, climate change, or as it used to be called, global warming... And still should be. Um, wasn't that um, bad? Like, they, uh, Republicans digged it. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. I think our food is here. We're watching Seinfeld. All right, and we're back. Do you remember what we were talking about before? No, we just watched an episode of Seinfeld, and I still have the same opinion of it. And so do you, Ali. Yeah. We laughed at it three times, and every time was just Kramer going, which is great. And that's two awesome. of those times, one was Kramer going that, and the other one was just physical comedy. He fell off the stage. Yeah. So that's... that's Which that's is, again, Kramer. Just It's all physical comedy of Kramer. That's the only thing, and, and I will pay this because I've been watching a little more of it. I know that this is extremely unpopular. God, I don't know how people put up with us. We have such unpopular opinions. <laughs> About everything. Yeah. But I'll also say that the entire cast of Seinfeld... No one on planet Earth can do a better comical scream than them. Yeah. And because they're always freaking out about such petty things and then going, ah, I'm laughing. Yeah. But that's all I'm laughing and at. And Jerry is the weakest link. Oh, yeah. Well, that's it, self-evident, yeah. isn't it? But uh, I'll, I'll give him this as well, though. Now that I've watched more of it, I kind of get that he's sort of an Andy Lee figure. He just kind of keeps the ball rolling, mm. which is fine. But you could do that with pretty How much anyone. How can you be a st Andy Lee figure when you're doing stand-up comedy <laughs> <laughs> by yourself? <laughs> if you had a comedy partner. I don't... I think the whole thing was that he was just the first G-rated comedian. Mm. Because he's just branded himself as I am the only comedian on planet Earth. That was really the message that he was conveying well, in every you, episode. If you think about it, like for most of the population in the US, they would only know him as a stand-up comedian. Because look, Seinfeld was huge. And he every Seinfeld started off with him doing stand-up comedy. Mm. So most of the population recognized him as stand-up comedy. I'm not saying that there were other stand-ups, but like... They were probably big amongst people that appreciated comedy. Mm. But Seinfeld was a stand-up comedian for people that did not no, know no, what stand-up comedy yes. is. So I think he that... filled that niche, I guess is the word, yeah. but not really because his niche was the United States of America. He, he's, a, he's a good joke writer. As in, like, yeah. he's a good writer. I wouldn't... But he's not the best stand-up. Like, the fact that... Yeah, his that, presentation. The fact that, like his material is still the same from 10 years ago. He says it as like, oh, why would you get rid of the greatest hits? And like, well, every great comedian kind of does. Yeah. You have You're to lazy. choose. But uh, I remember reading in a joke book from years ago that there was this comedy great teacher in New York City that saw Jerry Seinfeld rise above the ranks 
and he remembers watching this other stand-up that did this brilliant five minutes on blowjobs. He was saying that it was the best stand-up comedy he's ever seen. He's been in the scene for 40 years. There was just this Indian dude that came up and talked about blowjobs. Five minutes, it was a great tight five. Had everyone crying with laughter. Seinfeld came up and everyone went, <laughs> and, gets and then went the on show. with their day. He gets the show. Now, why is that? Because he's Jewish. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, the reason is because he G-rated. has G-rated comedy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what made him so big. Wow. The toy story of comedians, which is not a bad thing It's a to special be. skill. It, it, it's it's it a is. tough one. I mean, trying to like... And again, clean. like the only ones that I've ever seen pull it off correctly are Hamish and Andy. I've never seen another comedian that is tapped into something that... Because what they've tapped into is silly adventures. That's always going to make you giggle because hey. there's something getting unfolding at the time. But Their equivalent is Craig Ferguson. They do very Craig Ferguson-like humour. They do Craig Ferguson-like humour, but Craig Ferguson is not G-rated. No, Craig Ferguson isn't because he he's like an ex addict that had a really <laughs> rock and roll life, but he does the same thing. He does a, What I'm saying is, uh, Hamish and Andy have found their humor, which is riffraff. Mm. Riffraff can be um, undirty because mm. riffraff, like you're not looking for a like with all these blowjob guys, they're looking for like subject matter and which is funny, and then they can go deep into it. Um, it's also kind of taboo because that's where like comedians like to go. But with riffraff, you're just basically saying what riffing off of what the other person is saying. Yes. But even then, their predecessors were American Rosso. American Rosso, even though they were on breakfast, but Colin Jackie are on breakfast. Breakfast is oddly risky. It's <laughs> drive that's vulgar. supposed to be a little more G. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they were not either. So you're right. Riffraff can be G-rated. I think, look, the other thing is as well, it is definitely a sign of intelligence. I hate that and I fall into that trope all the time and I'm not saying they're not going to do it at all anymore, but it is. it is. It's just a really cheap, easy way to get a laugh, to just get up on stage and say fuck and the audience will go, duh. But well, that, th- there's the other argument for it. I can't remember which comedian it was, but when he was told this, like, it's an easy way to get a laugh, so he was like, you go try and do it. Go swear on stage and let me see you get a laugh at it. Yeah, look, it's not... No, I don't agree with him. <laughs> I think it's really easy. The The jokes that I'm always trying to hone are always the G-rated jokes, and they fall a lot of the time, and then you add a fuck, and then people are laughing. In fact, Steve Martin made that point where he was saying that if you have to add a fuck to a joke, it's not a good joke. Mm. But... When it's a business and time is of the essence and you need to come up with a new show every year, it's going to be a lot of Fs. Yeah. I think that that's... But this, look, having said all that though, I'm not saying I'm the best comedian on earth. But goddamn, when you go to a comedy festival and watch a lot of other so-called named comedians in Australia, the bar is pretty low. And I really do truly think this, that I talk to people in politics all the time it's supposed to be the most boring profession there is. They are so much wittier than the average comedian. And even when they're talking about things that aren't political, because that's the thing, it's easier to be witty about a subject that you know a lot about. Mm. So they've got that working for them. But even when I'm not talking to them about politics and I'm just shooting the shit, as the kids say, they still are so much better than the vast majority of comedians that we saw at the Adelaide Fringe, for instance. Well, that's the other thing. Mo- I Look, being funny or being a good comedian, I'm not a comedian, but I've seen a lot of goddamn comedy. And I can tell you, I don't think it's just an Australian thing. I think there's very few people that are good comedians in the world. Yeah. It's, it's a tough gig and there's... Well, you admire people that can go up and like make people up, but like you should always remember there's probably like 10 or 15 of them. Mm. that are doing it i'm sure there's like really funny people that are still rising up the ranks and eventually they might get big but at any given situation position there's like 10 or 15 people that are actually legitimately funny and the other thing that i think gets rid of and disqualifies a lot of people the thing is i i can guarantee you ali that if you wanted to be a comedian you would be one of the best in australia easily (laughs) and it's because you have something that the vast majority of other people don't have 
which is the ability to present. And a lot of people don't have that. Yeah, I don't think I can make the funniest show, but I suppose I could work at an interesting show. Well, that's half of the battle. It really is. Even if you're going for lowbrow humor, it still has to be surprising. And that is interest. To me, like, I think... To me, like, uh, the perfect comedian is uh, not someone that obsesses over, like, a particular subject. Like, they can make anything funny. It's all about, like, the way they look at any given situation. That's true. They'll find humor in it. I'm not necessarily that guy. I know what's interesting. I know what has potential to be interesting, but I can't make every observation funny. That's a, that's a different skill. But you know what else you, you Hamish notice? has that, by the way. That, that's Hamish's stick. He can make anything funny. Yes, he can. He's got the, the, the ingredients for it. But you know what else, though? Even, even you who isn't trying to be a comedian, if you go listen to a lot of other podcasts of so-called comedians, you're way funnier than they are, and you're way quicker than they are as well. Well, So you've got the building blocks dude, there. You, you go to any amateur comedy show, you'd realize that most people in the audience could do it better. There's this whole... The problem with comedy now has become, in my opinion, that it's become like the status thing. It's not that... I think when comedy was looked at as like, you know, this Joker's business of um, being that fool, you probably got the greatest comics because those people legitimately cared about being funny and entertaining. Some people just have that in them. They're, they've got that gene that's like, be a clown. Nowadays, I see a lot of amateur comics because like with my girlfriend, I've been to like a couple of comedy shows, amateur ones, which I normally don't go to. Some of them are all right. I mean, look, none of them are great, but some of them have potential to maybe become good one day. But I see a lot of like, uh, they like the idea of being a comic. Yeah. They like the idea yeah. of like, I live in Redfern and I do, uh, I I'm do, an I'm an artist. And it's like, you're going, you're going for the status, the status and, and the sort of life that comes with it. I'm not saying that they're 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 like doing great. They're making zero money, but they like the idea of being a comic that's like not making any money and doing the grind. Yeah. Um, great comics don't care about any of that. They care about the jokes. The jokes. They care about their performance. Mm. And the people that actually care about that, I think, will get big. But most of the amateur comics, are, first of all, why are all of them hipsters? All of them are hipsters. I hate Show that. me like. I want to see comics from like I want to see like today's version of Rodney Roots. I want to see like someone that has completely different perspective, mm. doing a stand-up show mm. at Red Dwarf. Mm. I don't. You all live in the same postcode. Mm. All of you live in the same postcode. Mm. In fact, all of you kind of had cushy upbringings too. I don't know if you'll be able to do the best kind of comedy. You might be able to do some smart comedy, but not you, even because they're not that smart. They're kind of just the riffraff. They're exactly what you have pointed out, which. Hipsters are artists that live the life. You know what they are? They're cultural artists, like I'm a cultural gay man. Mm. Th they, they don't actually have any artistic skill. But as you said, they just like the idea of being an artist, and that's why they move into these things. And I think that that's the whole thing. Is that's why I refuse to do gigs at these venues and couldn't get away from it quick enough. And I didn't gel with my old booking manager, despite the fact that she ripped me off for tens of thousands of dollars. But... <laughs> The other thing that I didn't necessarily agree with was just her outlook. Mm. I don't like the hipster outlook. I don't like their style of comedy. I think it just has this feeling of overall low self-esteem that I don't like being around. Everybody in the audience kind of seems to be there as part of a status thing as well, of just being like, I like seeing live shows. Yeah, that's the But they don't actually like it because it sucks. They like the idea of being a person that goes to live comedy shows. Pathetic, isn't it? It's just like this... That's it, why, like, my the, girlfriend... The, the, that the actual... The actual... Not... The performance is not the performance. The actual... The ritual itself is the performance that's happening there. Yeah, it used to be a lot more purist back in the day. Being a stand-up comedian at one point was not a respectable profession. Yeah. <laughs> and I think... And you know what else as well? It wasn't like acting either. As in the, the, when they were saying that acting wasn't a respectable profession in Shakespeare's time. But acting, I mean, but comedy wasn't a respectable profession until John the Stewart, late 80s. I'd say. Almost literally, yeah, the late 80s would be... 
these guys, Colin Pryor, when Chris Tucker, actually, I would even say 90s. 90s is when stand-up comedy in the U.S. became somewhat a respectable level. position. And in 2000s, it became, like, rock star level. But you know what the... I think the the biggest issue for, like, these um, red fern comics is, like, not even that they're hipsters. It's It comes back... They don't have a bank. They have no experiences worth sharing. Like, all you... You have experiences about, like, how your Uber Eats delivery was kind of off the uh, other day. Everyone's experiencing that, dude. Like, yeah. if you want to be actually interesting, if you want to be funny, you need to put yourself in situations that you've never been in. Yeah. Get out of the bubble. Actually yeah. start off with thinking that everything that I already believe might not be correct. Yeah. That's one way of starting. Then you go travel. You go in different areas. You meet different kinds of people. Put yourself out of comfort zone. And trust me, the bank that you will develop from that will feed you for like the next three years of your life. Yeah. But like if you just constantly sit around, Uber Eats, hang out with your friend and you go to the pub and you play like, uh, I don't know, like trivia or something, that's not going to make you a great anything, really. You're not learning anything there. And you know what else? Yes, that's true. But the other thing that goes hand in hand with that is they're not passionate about anything in life. They're kind of just doing everything to fit in. And it's just they're part of this bizarre subculture where you have to be an artist to be significant. But I think that all the good comedians, even their perspective on life, the subjects that they tackle usually, uh, they're in the same family group as the rest of their jokes. And it's because they're really obsessed with that part of life. I think that's the case. Wait, anyway. what part of life? Well, for instance, Bill Burr. How did he shoot to stardom? How much he hates women. Mm. That was he was obsessed with pointing out mm. how fucking annoying they are. Yeah. That was his like shtick. But it was right? different. It's, it's the shtick and risky, yeah? yeah. Yeah, and it was well. That was the thing that really propelled him into stardom, right? And it was, he was good. He was talking about it. Oh yeah, yeah he, he, he was, was brilliant. Good, yeah. He was brilliant. But I think that that's why it's because he had his little crusade, and obviously John Stewart had his crusade. Um, Bill Maher, who I put as another one. Uh, Dave Chappelle is obsessed with black people. <laughs> yeah. He's obsessed with them. Mm. Uh, and and the, again, like there's an obsession there that goes hand in hand with it. Chris Rock is obsessed with black culture. I think there's a bit of a distinction there. Yeah. Whereas he's kind of just talking, Chris Rock kind of talks a lot more about like uh, the, 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 the celebrity and... Uh, like social movements of black people and stuff like that. Whereas like Dave Chappelle, actually no, Dave Chappelle will be talking more about black culture, but it's a lot, a lot of his nineties comedy was just like, man, you know, when you're in a barber shop and they're like faux gas, like it's, it's that kind of stuff that he's talking about. Yeah. It's all of that same area. And so like, yeah, it's, it's like, first of all, hipsters are in a boring, insecure culture. So obviously, and, and the, the first thing about comedy is that, it's a relief from insecurity. So if you are insecure, you are by default going to be a bad comedian. Yeah. That's the first part. So the, the, the culture itself is terrible. But as you were saying as well, it's a boring culture. And on top of that, if you are obsessed with Netflix, you're not actually passionate about anything in life. Netflix is just this kind of modern day soma. And all gets drilled into you. Let's, let's assume for a second that Netflix was like this great library the problem is everyone has access to that library and everyone is obsessing over this particular library. Like, if you're going to tell me about how good Tiger King was, I've seen it. You don't need to tell me this. Like, in fact, everyone's seen it around me. I want you to tell me shit that I don't know about. If you're it's going to talk about Tiger King, you know what you do? You do a lot of research on it and you give and me you a give backstory a to Tiger King. Yeah, give me a That's different perspective. I, 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 t I take that. I'd appreciate and that. And see, dude, just the fact that you understand these fundamentals, I'm telling you, if you went up and did a stand-up show, you would be a lot better. And the other thing as well, the main thing that I think is really obvious, the thing with you when I see you on stage, dude, you can't tell if you're nervous or not. Yeah, I and can that hide is, that shit. Yeah, that's a huge asset. Mm. Um, yeah, man... It's like and you know I what else? Like while I'm saying voice. that, like Mislov is a real life Kramer. <laughs> like he's a really funny man. But that's the thing; he's a funny man. 
And when he's on stage, he just clams up. And I don't think Dude, he he'll will ever be, be able to bring he that up. He will start calling someone the N-word. And fall on a table. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like you. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. It'll be Kramer in the show. Kramer <laughs> in the show doing the little Bachelor Twirl yeah. falling down. That would be that him. That would be funny too. And in fact, that is pretty much his live music shows if you ever want to go and see them. <laughs> but, yeah, his, his natural habitat is just being kind of like a reality show phenomenon that you can film and just go throughout his life because he does just have Kramer-like adventures. Like the fact that he locked himself out of his own car, that's, that's only a mislove thing, mm-hmm. right? That's just a normal day for that man. Or the fact that the reason that he was late for work today, he said, fuck that man. Like he's just, yeah, he's really not built for jobs. There's no way that that man would be employed in a normal job. <laughs> no, like, he, he was late to work today because he was playing Diddy Kong Racing until 3am in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like Kramer. the shit Mario Kart. Yeah, he's 100% <laughs> Kramer. <laughs> right? But the thing is, yeah, he would never be able to construct it. He'd never be able to put that effort into it and also the presentation into it. And I think that that's the big distinction of our comedians. And, yeah, th- that's what I th- look for when I see if somebody is going to be a good comedian or not. How certain are they are in themselves? Even, like, if you think about Dave Chappelle from the 90s or Chris Rock from the 90s, what I remember from watching their stand-up as a child was how they were giving me a snapshot of a world that I didn't know about. Like, Dave Chappelle's bit about... Um, Hey, homeless baby, stop selling weed. He's like, bitch, I got kids to feed. Get the fuck out of here. It's like that little, do you remember that joke, the homeless? That little, it felt like I got a snapshot of what a project is like in the US. Obviously, it's a crazy example of it, like a little baby with kids and shit. But it gave me a different perspective. Chris Rock, similar thing. He gave me, I remember when I first watched Never Scared, I became obsessed with black culture because of that uh, stand-up show, Never Scared, that Chris Rock did. Did I didn't I had no idea what black culture was in the u.s i saw it and I was so like, much Dude, pizzazz this is this is fucking funny mm. this culture is funny these mm. these people are cool mm. and all of a sudden different perspective became a loyal guy mm. you've got to give some kind of perspective like all the great ones have some kind of perspective that they have going yeah um carlin was all about perspective he was the og perspective which his is like his perspective now is a really common perspective which is like uh, fuck the establishment. You know, uh, the problem is what Carlin did, most of these hipsters are trying to do that, but they're not as smart and it's not that new. Mm. Um, but when he was doing it, it was fucking new. He was giving a different perspective. If he was alive, I wouldn't be surprised if he was right wing. <laughs> you know, because he would he'd just be like, this, is, uh, this isn't different. There's nothing new here. What is George Carlin's perspective? It's kind of a dumb Chomsky yeah, he is. He is a but in comedian world, he was a Chomsky. Compared to Chomsky, he's dumb. But th- this is when like comedians were not remotely intelligent. Maybe Charlie Chaplin tried to hide that with like the g- dictator movie or something where he talked about fascism. But even that was like he had to like make that up with like no George over. Carlin created his own scene. Yeah, he ca- he created, and that was actually a really big piece of advice that I do owe George Carlin a lot to, and I never even thought about it. But I remember him saying that. He was just going to a bunch of yuck-yuck clubs back then, but it was all that 50s kind of uh, humour that was very, you know, take my wife, please. Like, it had a real Kruger style to it. Mm. And he was just sitting there, and he was like, nah, I'm not a mafioso guido. (laughs) I'm a hippie. And so he started going to coffee clubs... And it sort of started off, I guess, almost as spoken word poetry, which really, that's what his stand-up show yeah. is. Really, yeah. yeah, it's just a long poetic monologue. Because it's not. Which is that's the funny, whole thing. But it's like, not even that funny. It's not even that funny. Yeah, you, yeah. No, you just sit there and you're like, "That's a really yeah. impressive wordplay." Yeah. And I'm into it, but it's not making me ha ha. No. But some of his original content, when he was doing stuff in the seventies. It did. I don't know what happened in the meantime. I think, well, th- this is the whole thing as well. He was saying that. He was saying after a while when you bring the house down, you kind of just get bored of that. 
and you just want to start instilling ideas into the audience. And I fully understand what he means now. Like after a while you realise, no, there is just certain mechanisms to this. You can do it for the rest of your life, sure. But now I'm more into the ideas of it. I, I even feel it now. I can't imagine that guy, what he must have felt like when he was, what, 70 and doing it for 50 years. There comes a point where the laugh itself is not the most important part and you realise that a big part of a comedian's job is taking the audience on an imaginative journey with you, like keeping their attention the whole time as you paint a picture that they didn't have in their head before. That's the other thing that comedians say that I didn't understand. Like a lot of comedians say shit like this. You think my worst day is when I bomb. It's like, no, that's not my worst day. My worst day is when I look into the audience and I feel no one is paying attention. Mm. That's worse. He's like, I'm okay with you not laughing and thinking I'm shit as long as you're paying attention to me. Mm, mm, mm. But why is that? Why would you? Because that's the game, dude. That's the game. The the comedy is just that's that's the whole thing is the, that's what they really get to at the end of the day is that humor is just there to keep people's attention to the next point mm. and that's why like man i'm not saying that why john howard really sucked is a masterpiece or anything it was a remember, really fucking good show well i thought so but i know so i'm telling you like I'm not saying this as your friend. I've seen that show way too many fucking times. <laughs> yeah, you have. But man, I never got bored. I love that. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Um, Michael West came and saw it. And he was just like, what you've actually done there is truly incredible. And I was like, what? And he was just saying, you're giving like really a really, really in-depth, hardcore economics lecture to, like, 17-year-olds. And, and they're all following. And they're all following along with it. Crazy. That's the true power of humour. No, dude, I, I remember... I kind of got... This is going to sound really insane to you, but when I first saw J why John Howard really sucked, I kind of cried a little bit. And not because it wasn't like, well, oh, my friend is getting successful. No, not that. I was like, fuck, this is incredible exactly what michael west said that you can do this i you know when i was a kid if someone had asked me what's your dream it was to be able to do that not that like you have an audience or whatever the fact that you can get into such deep rigorous analysis and also serving it to the lowest common denominator. I'm, I'm sure that they're, but like there's their kids normally that wouldn't follow this kind of shit. They're not a bunch of like little academic uh, people. They're following it. And also they love you for it. Like this is in my head when this is like the ultimate being you're fulfilling your life by really making society better. You are exercising your intellectual muscles by going into this. You're, you get to like, you make people laugh. And as a sidekick, you get to be this big ass celebrity. There is no, there is no existence that is greater than that. And the bigger part isn't even the celebrity. You take all of that shit out. The fact that you can do such rigorous analysis and make it so popularly palatable that that in itself is the miracle. There's that no is the miracle. But it's not, it's, it's not necessarily me. It's, it is, you know what the real miracle is? Humor. All of the lights clicked when I read this book. It was called, I think, Colbert's America. And then there was also like uh, the John Stewart effect. I think those were the two books. But that's what they were saying. It was just that the humor made their message accessible that otherwise would have only been, uh, you know, studied in kind of like political science in Boston, maybe? At a university. If you s no, no one paid attention to it at school. No one paid attention to it. But the thing was, that especially when they were on cable, they were hitting the right notes. People go back and say, oh, they're establishment and stuff. But no, they were actually made... It's exactly the same argument with Bill Maher. It's the same one with me. It's just like, dude, this is not about, like, revolution or whatever. This is just about, like, how government actually fucking works. Like, it's just like the, the population is so ignorant about what a government actually does that someone needs to just sit there and make it interesting and that's what was amazing about John Stewart's show it was just like a five day a week 
highly rated civics lecture. But you know, I would even put you in a different category than John Stewart because the I'm not necessarily impressed by the idea that someone is doing intelligent stuff in a humorous way. You're right. There's like people that have done that before you too. I'm talking about that strict one hour stand up comedy format. The way you and the way you incorporated slideshows. I've never seen anything like that. I've seen slideshows done before, but it's usually like, and this is how I pranked her. Then I kept all of these yellow ducks in her bathroom. Mm. I've seen shit like that where mm. they've used slideshow as props. I've seen people trying to do like uh, bits about um, uh, intelligent bits that they've dedicated 10 minutes to something. You do one hour, a straight up stand up show on that one topic. There are no bits. That's a lecture, but it's, it, it reads as a stand-up show. Mm. It's a lecture that somehow conforms as a stand-up show. Mm. That's the impressive bit about it. Mm-hmm. Not that like you've diffu- in, infused like a uh, um, uh, substance with a uh, humor. That like I know you, you pe- people have done that before, but that format and the way you did that was was incredible. It needs to be said. Yeah, no, I, I I was very very happy with the end result of why John Howard really sucked, especially when if you are getting economics and politics lecturers recommending to their class to go and watch that 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 uh, stand-up show i think that was the most important thing but the other thing is that like the thing that i just really didn't like about george carlin it's just so negative that's what i can't stand about most american commentators in politics and most ones that comment on politics in general in the u.s they don't offer any alternative that's why I pay yeah. Bill Maher so much. Because he just sits there and is just like, shut the fuck up. Like, this, is what this one's putting a cap and trade on. This one isn't. True, true. You know? Like, th- that was what was, like, very disheartening about George Carlin. But I understand that that's why... I understand that that's, like, he, he was a product of his time, I suppose. I don't... I think that's just a personality type. Um, uh, Chomsky is the same thing. These guys, like, acad- in academic world, they're called critical theorists. They're basically people who just criticize. They, they're really intelligent at criticizing, but they're not putting, it's not their job to give alternatives. Their mind doesn't think like that. They're just, their mind is like, their mind is super good at looking at any given situation and figuring out the fault lines in it. Right, right, And right. so that's their entire personality. So I honestly, if you asked uh, Carlin, what's the ideal solution? He might be able to give you one and would probably be like really dumb. His one was just like, don't vote, they're all assholes. Yeah, yeah right? Like, that. said like that. That's because his job isn't to like, uh, yeah, he, he's just really good at understanding um, uh, fault lines in any concept. That's what his stick is. Chomsky is the same thing, man. How often have you seen Chomsky give like a really uh, incredible alternative framework? His entire framework is in a yeah, very and intelligent says, way. What do we do? And he says, that's for you to decide. Yeah, that's for you to decide. Or yeah. something like, I guess you could join a union. But a lot of those unions are terrible. Well, he asked him, was like, I, if I was in a swing state, I, would, I wouldn't I would vote for Trump. Like, these are really basic things. Like, you don't, you don't need to be Chomsky to understand that. Because, but, but, like, again, he's a critical theorist. He, some people are like that, man. Yeah, I suppose you're right. I think I just, dude. I, I think, yeah. I'm sorry. I just, I just gel with statesmen more. <laughs> statements. I, I like statesmen. I like people that are able to like sell an idea. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they're admirable. They're uh, yeah. And, and also, it's just a nicer feeling getting rallied around something as opposed to just sitting there and being like, mm, sure, it's just a long descent to madness. True. True. Anyway, that's my lecture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look. I'm really happy about that. You, you know, now that I'm just being reflective about this, the point of my career that I think I'm the most happy about actually was that Medi Scare video <laughs> that I did in 2016. Which was like, uh, <laughs> it's funny that you find that the most <laughs> interesting thing about your career because that's been touted as the one disingenuous thing you've done. Was it? I don't know. Wasn't, wasn't it like a straight up scare tactic? Well, that's. Remember, we were just saying that we were just celebrating. Isn't it sad that our side of politics genuinely celebrates like Corbyn in twenty sixteen <laughs> and Bill Shorten's emphatic almost victory? That's what we celebrate. Yes, there wasn't that big of a margin. 
true, true. But yeah, I remember you just saying that it just like both of us staring at each other because we were reporting on it live, and then we just at the end just go like, "Man, let me on it, man. That was a scare campaign." <laughs> But it worked because didn't they win the elections? But you know what I maintain to this day, though? It only turned out to be a scare campaign. Oh, true, yeah. yeah. You know, the Liberals were looking into this shit and then Labor just made a huge deal out of it and there was enough there for it to have some legs. Um, But, yeah, no, I'm very proud of that because afterwards, two things that I noticed. First off... I would talk to people, and this is the strangest thing as well. Like, it would be people that work at, like, Roads and Maritime or the local council or something. And even those people were thinking, yeah, no, I never thought that there was any difference at all between the two major parties. And that video made me realise, yeah, there is a major difference between the two. It was that video. I'm very proud of that. And then the other thing was, I think that it kind of changed the zeitgeist in that lecturers were always coming up to me and they were saying that before that, the average sentiment was that the two major parties were exactly the same. And after that, there was just this smugness to anybody who would say that. And everybody would just, like, look at them just, like, with disdain and say, how could you say that? Like, oh, clearly, Labor is much better. Yeah, yeah. Now, the next phase is to get to, is to be like, and the Greens are the worst of all. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I think that that is the next stage. I, I do need to figure out a way to explain that properly to the public. Not, not, not to the public. The because spoiler the, the, role the liberals the are already very well aware of that. Liberal voters are very aware that the Greens suck. But well, you, that, you mean that, suck that in natural the base that should be voting for the Labour Party is voting for the Greens. Do you mean suck in the sense that the they play a, the role of a spoiler in any given situation or suck in the sense that their policies are objectively stupid? No, that they play the role of a spoiler. No, no, but you know what else as well? They are, their policies are objectively stupid. As in, in the last Queensland election, you know that they promised... $160 billion worth of new spending in a state budget. Well, the that's because they know they don't billion. have to, yeah. But why don't they have to? Because the Murdoch mm. press wasn't giving them any scrutiny at all. <laughs> and why wasn't the Murdoch press giving them any scrutiny? Because he knows that they split the vote and everybody is going to write back with that same stupid point of, uh, you just put them first and second and then it goes back to Labor. Yeah, what about First that, of all, actually? it's like you're first off saying by that that the Greens are a better party than the Labor Party. But I'm sorry, who has given you Medicare? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the second best healthcare system on earth. Oh, oh sorry, it was that awful neoliberal Margaret Thatcher-like Paul Keating. <laughs> yeah, that one. Um, who did any meaningful action on climate change and who blocked it in the Senate? Yeah, the Greens, while the Labor's done everything on it. What about schooling? What about the fact that you can read? Every major reform has been pushed through by the Labor Party. And you know what has made their job impossible all throughout history? First of all, it's the media bias. But the other thing is that there has always been this spoiler party like the Greens, like the uh, uh, DLP, um, and like back in the day, I guess, like the Protectionist Party or whatever. And they're always there to dampen the vote of the Labor Party. And, and the whole effect of them even existing and sitting there and criticising and saying, no, there's a third alternative, there's a third way. What does that do? That dissipates the vote. Yeah. That enough. doesn't happen yeah. on the Liberal side. The Liberal side, the Liberals understand, like, I want Scott Morrison in, where there's a huge part of the Labor vote that's always, oh, I don't know, they're both shit, aren't they? Uh, Greens, weed party. There's all that shit. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the elite power base is aware of this. That's what I need to start getting into people's minds. Have you seen... Sorry, we've got to go. But, like, have you seen um, Scott Morrison's new um, appeal to the international community? Sorry, so I'll just give some background. I don't know if you've seen this, but this was, like, to me, kind of interesting. Um, you know, like, how every year they've got that Davos conference? Yes, I do. So this year in June, um, they did... Uh, the topic was the Great Reset, with um, there's this whole new idea going around the world, not amongst like basically you know the equivalent of Australian readers in the world, like the intelligentsia, uh, the people that are like uh, not necessarily just politicians, but like people that are basically the root Davos crowd. They've got this new concept, which is a great concept. They call it the Great Reset, which basically just means more public spending uh, on a global level to like get the entire world out of this slump. Davos is saying that. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. Would you believe it? And do you know who... Well, that means it's going to happen. Do you know what world leader 
is the greatest voice for arguing against the Great Reset? Scott fucking Morrison. Are you kidding? He did. Oh, I've got to show. I've got to send you this. He did this appeal to the. He did this video conference where his entire point was, um. Okay, so this was his point of view. He was saying, the reason why Western world has become really prosperous and uh, developed is because of the values that we have now, which are the values of free market and all of that stuff. Um, our demise would be if we go for the Great Reset. We need to continue with this because this is what made us great. This is what we'll continue to make us great. And there's no other one, there's no other world leader backing him. Well, I'm wow, sure that there would be. We are truly a pariah state now, aren't I, we? I saw this on Sky News. <laughs> Funnily enough, who's that fat bearded guy on Sky News? Paul Murray. Yeah, he was like. Finally, <laughs> show my cheese. He was like, he puts it, he was like, yeah, he was like, amen. So glad this guy is my prime minister. Uh, <laughs> I'll send you that thing because it's actually really interesting. It's, it's, it's interesting how Scott Morrison's become one of the voices for uh, continuity rather than reset. Um, well, I mean, it's very expected. What I find very unexpected is Davos was sitting there saying, we need more taxes. Yeah. That is a truly seismic shift. True. Uh, not everyone at Davos, but it's a, it's a, it's an idea but that's it was being thrown out. At yeah, least. It was thrown. Even a couple of years ago, the guy that suggested that was laughed off the yeah, stage. Yeah, true. Well, that's what COVID did. Wow. The, the recession of COVID. Anyways, thank you guys for joining us today. We appreciate your support and we'll see you guys next week. You don't support us enough. Give us more. Yeah. <laughs>